morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, November 2nd, we are studying Joshua chapter 18, verses 1 to 28. Five tribes have received their inheritance of land, and seven tribes remain. A transition in location to Shiloh provides the opportunity for these seven allotments, starting with the tribe of Benjamin. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sam Wergau. Pastor Wergau serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me. So, Pastor Wargel, let's talk a little context. What should we know as we prepare to look at Joshua 18 today? Yeah, you kind of mentioned a little bit of it. I mean, we're in Joshua, so Joshua is primarily dealing with the promised land and the people of Israel entering uh, the promised land. We we talk about kind of two phases in Joshua, that of the conquest of the land uh, and then the uh, taking of possession by each tribe. So we're in that latter part here. And as you mentioned, we've already had kind of the... Uh, the um, uh, uh, five of the tribes received their allotment um, so far, uh, beginning in uh, chapter 13. Uh, and this kind of brings us to kind of a halfway point and a shift in location, too, which I think is important to see. So, again, kind of the overall emphasis is what we've kind of been seeing already, the emphasis on the promised uh, land as an inheritance uh, that God is uh, uh, has has handed over to his people and now will be divided. This inheritance will be divided among them. Uh, I borrowed heavily from uh, the Concordia commentary on this by uh, uh, Dr. Harstad. And um, he's got a great uh, quote here kind of to help set the context here that the Lord's presence and activity um, in accord with his word will bring success to his faithful people in the second phase, that is the, uh, the occupation and the possession according with his word. Um, will bring success to the faithful people in the second phase as it had in the first. There's a clear distinction in the book of Joshua between the two phases. The land has already been given by the Lord and even taken by Israel in this initial conquest. Joshua refers to the land that the Lord, uh, the God of your fathers has given you. And that's going to be in verse 13 here. And now we have the individual tribes going and taking possession of this land. Uh, So we what we have in 18 is kind of uh, a transition here, both of, of location, but then also of uh, the allotment to uh, these remaining tribes. Uh, and then the latter part of 18 will focus particularly on the land that, um, that is allotted to, to Benjamin. So with that section, particularly on the allotment to Benjamin, because that's the the section we've been reading that kind of text for a while now mm-hmm. in the book of Joshua. And it's one of those, those texts where perhaps even some of the regular guests on Sharper Iron, when they see the text that they've been assigned, because you don't get to choose normally, <laughs> they think Joshua 18. Oh, I don't know much about Joshua 18. And there's, there's a lot of names there that I don't, I don't know. They're hard to pronounce. I don't know where these places are. Uh, certainly there's, there's members at our congregation 
congregations that that may find these texts challenging. Uh, Pastor Wargau, if you if you've got somebody in your church who's reading through the book of Joshua and they come to this chapter and they say, Pastor Wargau, what do I do with this? What why is this important for me as a Christian? It, this is something I've been asking all the pastors right. for this section. What what do you tell that parishioner? Well, I mean, I think because we're dealing with the real here, uh, we're dealing with hard names to pronounce because these were real cities, real places, real land that the people were were getting, which is, of course, going to point us forward. But I think that concrete, concrete reality that we have here, even in Joshua, shows just the detail that the Lord had in providing for his chosen people, uh, real places, real borders, real land, uh, land that you can even go to today, though the, the city is not so much. Uh, and and that our God is not a God who de- dealt in the Old Testament in abstract things, but in real solid things for his people. The gifts that he gives are real concrete things. And of course, as I mentioned, these things point us forward. So all the details and difficult names and everything testify to the, the concreteness of, of, of God's promises, which then find their fulfillment in a flesh and blood Messiah that comes to this real world, this real promised land in the flesh. Uh, concretely uh, to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm. I like what you said about the the place names and the fact that they are difficult to pronounce reminds us that they are real. You know, every every place has these street names or town names that uh, the locals know how to pronounce. But but when you come in as a visitor and you try to pronounce it, they they correct you <laughs> and, and you look at the word and you're like, that shouldn't be pronounced that way. Yep, yep. but it is. At, and all of that is just to, again to to remind us of this is real history that we're talking about. This isn't a fantasy land. This isn't made up. But these are real places with real people, all of whom received the salvation of God and received the real fulfillment of His promises. And so, yeah, what a fantastic reminder of of why this text is important for us as Christians, even if we have trouble pronouncing the name. So maybe let's let's lean into that sometimes. You know that that these are actually real places that God fulfilled His promises even as he continues to fulfill his real promises for for us real sinners today he gives that salvation yeah so any more introductory comments before well, we jump into i want to just jump a little bit more on what you said i mean this is wonderful for the historicity of our christian faith uh and and the archaeological evidence and 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 just the historical evidence that we have for these real places that can be verifiable historically and you contrast that with some other uh sacred writings from uh false teachings and false religions uh, you don't have that as much uh, because their religion doesn't need to be verifiable. Uh, for example, uh, the the some of the cities that are claimed in like the Book of Mormon uh, absolutely cannot be verifiable archaeologically, uh, and, and and just show that it is is mere fiction. Where Christian faith rests upon historic fact uh, and that verifiability that it has, uh, which is why I mean, people who are really into biblical archaeology and things of that nature uh, uh, love these kind of uh, cities and names. And, and, and you read some of the commentaries and they go into so much detail that I have tr- trouble wrapping my brain around sometimes when they're finding these places and locating these and seeing such a great significance with it. Yeah, that's right. So, so one day, if if perhaps I, I'm when I meet Joshua in eternity, and he he corrects my pronunciation <laughs> that I'm about to attempt, I can rejoice in that because it means that these are real places right. that that actually existed. And even though I don't know how to pronounce it, he did. He does because because he was actually there. What what a beautiful thing. Yes. So let's uh, let's jump in to Joshua chapter eighteen today. 
Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land lay subdued before them. There remained among the people of Israel seven tribes whose inheritance had not yet been apportioned. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land, which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Provide three men from each tribe, and I will send them out that they may set out and go up and down the land. They shall write a description of it with a view to their inheritances, and then come to me. They shall divide it into seven portions. Judah shall continue in his territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall continue in their territory on the north. And you shall describe the land in seven divisions and bring the description here to me. And I will cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. The Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. And Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan eastward, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. So the men arose and went, and Joshua charged those who went to write the description of the land, saying, Go up and down in the land and write a description and return to me, and I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went and passed up and down in the land and wrote in a book the descri- a description of it by towns and seven divisions. Then they came to Joshua to the camp at Shiloh, and Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there, there Joshua apportioned the land to the people of Israel, to each his portion. The lot of the tribe of the people of Benjamin, according to the, its clans, came up, and the territory allotted to it fell between the people of Judah and the people of Joseph. On the north side, their boundary began at the Jordan. Then the boundary goes up to the shoulder north of Jericho, then up through the hill country westward, and it ends at the wilderness of Beth Avon. From there, the boundary passes along southward in the direction of Luz, to the shoulder of Luz, that is Bethel. Then the boundary goes down to Ataroth Adar on the mountain that lies south of lower Beth Haran. Then the boundary goes in another direction turning on the western side, southward from the mountain that lies to the south, opposite Beth Haran, and it ends at Kiriath Baal, that is, Kiriath Jerim, a city belonging to the people of Judah. This forms the western side. And the southern side begins at the outskirts of Kiriath Jerim, and the boundary goes from there to Ephron, to the spring of the waters of Nephtoah. Then the boundary goes down to the border of the mountain that overlooks the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is at the north end of the valley of Rephaim. And it then goes down the valley of Hinnom, south of the shoulder of the Jebusites, and downward to En-Rogel. Then it bends in a northerly direction, going on to En-Shemesh, and from there goes to Geliloth, which is opposite the ascent of Adamim. Then it goes down to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben, And passing on to the north of the shoulder of Beth Arabah, it goes down to the Arabah. Then the boundary passes on to the north of the shoulder of Beth Hagla. And the boundary ends at the northern bay of the Salt Sea, at the south end of the Jordan. This is the southern border. The Jordan forms its boundary on the eastern side. This is the inheritance of the people of Benjamin, according to their clans, boundary by boundary all around. Now the cities of the tribe of the people of Benjamin, according to their clans, were Jericho, Beth Hagla, Emek Kaziz, Beth Arabah, Zemarim, Bethel, Avim, Parah, Afra, Kephar Amani, Ofni, Giba, twelve cities with their villages, Gibeon, Rama, Beroth, Mizpah, Kephparah, Moza, Rechem, Irpiel, Taral, Taralah, Zela, Aleph, 
Jebus, that is Jerusalem, Gibeah, and Kiriath Jerim, 14 cities with their villages. And this is the inheritance of the people of Benjamin according to its clans. That's our text. That's Joshua 18, verses 1 to 28. All right, so Pastor Wergau, as you said, we've got a bit of a transition here in Joshua chapter 18 at the beginning. And the one of the big parts of the transition is the location. So the whole congregation goes to Shiloh, and they set up the tent of meeting there. Talk about the setting for this text. Yeah, so this is a move of location. So previously, the allotments were made at Gilgal. Gilgal. Uh, that's um, where Israel had first camped after they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. Um, that's where the site of the uh, memorial, the 12 stones from the Jordan was taken as a, a memorial uh, to the people uh, and to the uh, future generations. Um, and, and what's significant too is that Gilgal was also the central place of worship. So we see with this transition, not only a transitioning of a central meeting place of the people of Israel, but uh, the central, the transition to Shiloh is also uh, what they take with them is the tabernacle. Uh, that is, not only is this the central place where they're going to meet together, but this is the place where God is going to meet with them. And we see it come up several times in 18, uh, where we have these things taking place before the Lord. Um, so um, we're not, other than, I mean, we're not told specifically why there is this change, uh, why there is this movement perhaps, but it is good. This is where they need to be. Um, and, um, some people, uh, have made some comments on, on, uh, Shiloh, uh, for one Shiloh might come from the word meaning to be at rest, uh, though there's some debate on that, but I like that, uh, the idea that this is, this is the idea of, 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 uh, the place where, uh, the sanctuary of the Lord would rest, where the people would rest, um, in that sense. Um, but also even the geographical physical landscape of Shiloh actually served well the purposes that it had in being um, this new location where um, it was actually kind of like a natural amphitheater uh, where these kind of announcements and such could be made. Um, but I think even more significant is in Shiloh, what makes Shiloh so important is that the people of Israel are gathered there and that this is the place where the tabernacle is. Hmm. Yeah, so we, we have the tabernacle here mentioned in, in 18.1, and you have in your notes that this is actually the first time the tabernacle has been mentioned in Joshua, and I I guess I hadn't realized that until you pointed that out, so this is pretty significant. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, we assume the tabernacle came with them across, right? Right. Um, and, and that the Levites are bringing it across, but according to, this was according to Harstad, that, that this was the first place that we see it uh, mentioned in this way, and that it's talked about... Um, and that is, is that in, yeah, yeah, in, in, in verse one, that, that the, the tabernacle, um, it was caused to dwell there in that tent, the, or in there, the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. Uh, the ESV has that translated as they set up the tent of meeting. Um, more literally, it's translated as caused to dwell, um, which I think really does connect the words to Exodus 25, 8. Um, where uh, it says, and let them make me, the Lord says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So the idea to, to dwell in the midst of them, uh, that was the purpose of the tabernacle, which of course, again, finds its fulfillment in the Christ, the word made flesh, that the word John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory. Uh, again, this is where the presence of the Lord is. 
uh, for his people. So as, as God is giving these people and now dividing and allotting these lands to these people, uh, it's always his to give as a gift. And he is actually present among his people in a very concrete, real way in that tent of meeting. Uh, and also in that tabernacle was the place of the Ark of the Covenant. Hmm. So this is a, a pretty significant development that the tent of meeting is set up. This, and we've been thinking about the book of Joshua as fulfillment of God's promises. And, and as the land is being allotted, certainly that's God fulfilling his promise. But the fact that the tent of meeting now is explicitly mentioned, this is more than just a matter of you get this real estate, but this is actually, this is going to be the place where God dwells among yeah. you. That, that's, I mean, pretty significant theologically. Yeah. And it's going to be a place that location of Shiloh will be the place of the tabernacle for, for a pretty much an extended period of time through the period of the judges. Um, uh, Harstad said that some 300 years later, uh, it'll be briefly moved to Shechem because there'll be a covenantal renewal there in Joshua 24. Uh, but it resides in Shiloh. Um, all the way, I believe, um, till, um, till, um, Samuel, <laughs> till first Samuel. So, yeah. right. Well, and, and just, the, I mean, just the fact that the tent of meeting is set up in the midst of the land allotment, even beyond that, yes, it's going to be in Shiloh for a time. That's, that is significant. You know, the, the narrative is looking forward in that way, but even more than that, it, it means that the promised land and the conquest of it was more than like a land grab yeah. on the part of the Lord or his people. Mm -hmm. But this is actually the Lord, you know, giving his people a place where they can dwell with him. Right. I mean, in that, you know, almost thinking like the garden of Eden and then looking forward into the, the book of revelation that the, the place where we go, the new heavens and the new earth, what makes it that is that's where we dwell with the mm -hmm. Lord so that, you know, the tent of the meeting being in the land is no small thing, mm -hmm. but this is, this is part of the point mm -hmm. of it all is that, God can dwell with his people there. Right, exactly. Uh, this is what separates Israel from all the other nations because there's nations yeah. battling for lands. There always has been. Uh, and we could lump Israel, the people of Israel in that and give them purely like these human motivations for, for, for taking the land. But when we see it starting with Christ giving or God, the Lord giving this land uh, and promising to be with his people in this land, then it takes on a whole different greater significance. Now, one one more thing about the the name Shiloh showing up. There's some messianic connections that we can make, but it, it requires a little bit of explanation and, and going back to Genesis 49 and the blessing given to Judah. Yeah, so Genesis 49, 10. So this is the, yeah, the blessing given to Judah, as you mentioned. Uh, now, this depends on what translation you look at uh, in the English, because if you're looking at Genesis 49, 10 in the English Standard Version, uh, it reads, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. But if you go back to um, the King James Version of this, you have uh, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall be the gathering of the shall the gathering of the people be. Um, I'm not a translation expert, and I unfortunately am not as strong in Hebrew as I ought to be. Uh, so I don't know exactly why that's changed in the English standard version, uh, but it's commonly understood that this word uh, translated as Shiloh is actually given as a um, messianic prophecy of, of the Lord, uh, the Christ, the Messiah who would come. Uh, Harstad talks about it this way, 
that Jacob had blessed each of his sons, but this blessing here in Genesis 49, 10, he gave to Judah, who was his fourth son by Leah, the longest blessing. Joshua gives Judah's offspring the first and largest territory west of the Jordan, which was covered in, in, um, in, in 15. Um, now Joshua gives Judah's offspring the first and largest territory west of the Jordan. The census of Numbers 26 shows that Judah is the most populous tribe, uh, needs this vast area. But Jacob's blessing that's, that's in Genesis uh, 49, uh, he called Judah a lion, a symbol of strength and leadership. And this tribe will give Israel its greatest kings and the world its king of kings. That is that Shiloh would, would come in this way. So, so there's significance to the, the, the Shiloh popping up in the Old Testament and then also this city of Shiloh uh, popping up in the Pentateuch and then the city of Shiloh popping up in, in Joshua. Right, yeah, and the the mention of Shiloh in Genesis forty nine verse ten in the Hebrew is, I believe, one of the the more contested spots. Yeah. Of, there's there's quite a bit of scholarly opinion on exactly how to understand that, and and that's that's beyond our conversation today. But but the mention of it and the way that it was understood by many of our our church fathers that there's a messianic yeah. reference, and, and now here it, it is in Shiloh, the the same name where the tabernacle rests for a while. There's a, a reminder of of the whole point of the Lord bringing his people into the land. This is where he will finally bring his Messiah mm-hmm. to, to accomplish the salvation of the well, world. Well, I mean, that's the so, real big point behind all of it is that what is the whole point of the, the settling of the land and God giving uh, God um, giving the promise to Abraham at the beginning of establishing this great nation uh, and then giving them the promised land to dwell in. Uh, it's always for the purpose of of the one by whom all nations of the earth will be blessed, that the one who comes not simply uh, uh, to give people land, but to give an inter- eternal inheritance uh, in the redemption we have from from sin. Hmm. Now, the, the last part of verse one says, the land lay subdued before them. Uh, talk about that phrase of verse Yeah, one. that's really uh, interesting. Um, and again, I'm just kind of quoting from Harstad here. I think this is kind of significant. Uh, Israel had accomplished by God's power and according to his promise uh, to free the land from corruption caused by sin and idolatry of its former pagan. That's during the phase, you know, of conquest. Uh, And to begin now that the land is subdued uh, to restore uh, part of it to its original pristine condition. Uh, That is now God will dwell with his people. It will no longer, would not no longer be pagan worship, but the worship of the true God so this idea of this being subdued for the purpose of the restoration, um, which again we only see in part, that we'll see in full with the um, with the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth, um, uh, which Christ will bring. Um, both the assembling assembling of the congregation of Israel and the semi permanent establishment of the tabernacle are possible at Shiloh in the heart of the land of Canaan because of that conquest, because they're at kind of a time where they're not fighting these enemies. And have this uh, for them this temporary time of of uh, of peace. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. And we we see this throughout the book of Joshua that there, especially the second half, that there is this this peace, this rest that comes upon the land. And of course, you know, the land lay subdued before them. We we want to understand that as the Lord's doing. Mm-hmm. It, this is another point in the book of Joshua that is made over and over again that the Lord is the one who has fought for His people. He's given them the victory. And so the fact that the land lays subdued before them is the Lord's doing. And again, I, I think this is another way that we as Christians can appreciate this section of Joshua is to see how the Lord fulfilled his promises 
for the sake of of dwelling there with his people and giving his people rest. And and as you said, it happens only in part in Joshua. I mean, we know how the the narrative of the Old Testament is going to continue, that the rest they enjoy from physical warfare only lasts for a time, and the the rest that they enjoy from idolatry (laughs) only lasts for an even shorter time, that, that the people fall back into idolatry. But seeing the fulfillment of God's promises here in Joshua is is you know pushing us forward to see how God has fulfilled those for us already in Christ, and then as you pointed out, to to look forward to that that day when rest is given in all of its completeness in the new heavens and new earth. Right, exactly. Yeah, and and all of that so that God can dwell with us, we as His people, He as our God. That's that's the goal. Yeah, that's always the goal, and it's it's always given as a gift too. Um, this idea of, yes. of subduing the land as well. Uh, kind of goes back to creation as well in Genesis one twenty eight. So God created as a gift and gave creation as a gift. And now uh, through this, um, uh, in a sense, what we have in Joshua is an idea of redemption of this land that he had given. Uh, it all comes as a gift. Well, in, in there, you, in verse two, you have the word inheritance used yet again, and and that that language also points us to the fact that this is gift. This isn't the people of Israel taking something for themselves, but this is actually their inheritance. The Lord has has given and is giving it to them. Yeah, and that'll come up again too when we get um, to um, after 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 the long description that maps out the territory for Benjamin. It ends with this understanding of this is the inheritance of the people of Benjamin. What has just been detailed and described the borders north south east west is now an uh, inheritance of the people which yet brings about kind of a legal terminology but also that the land belongs actually to the lord and he's the one who's bequeathing it to uh uh to this specific people in this specific place that's right so it's all gift from the lord he has subdued the land before them he is now giving it to his people as an inheritance there are seven tribes that yet need to receive their inheritance and joshua has words for them here in joshua chapter 18 and we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break you're listening to sharper iron on kfuo we're talking about joshua 18 with pastor sam wergal this morning we will be right back please stick around Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, November 2nd. We are studying Joshua chapter 18, verses 1 to 28 with Pastor Sam Wergau. He serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. 
Pastor Wargal, prior to the break, we made it up to verse three. There are seven tribes whose inheritance has not yet been apportioned, and Joshua is going to speak to them in verse three. What does he have to say? Yeah, it's uh, he's kind of calling them to task. Uh, it's not actually. It's kind of a rebuke. It's kind of a a, a push. Um, because obviously there's kind of, there seems to have been kind of a, a, a lack, slackness, uh, laxadays, lack, um, they're being lax, uh, with, uh, with this conquest or with this, uh, occupation of the land. I actually like how, um, in the Harstad commentary, he translates this, um, as Joshua said to the sons of Israel, how long will you be slackers about going for possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers has given you. And there's some sense of that Hebrew word to have this idea of being slackers or just not. And I, our, we kind of draw out kind of an important point to this is that the idea what we were talking about before the break, this land comes as gift, gift given by God, the God of your fathers. And in Harstad notes, the Lord's gift of the land is now um, uh, a past completed act that has fulfilled God's promises to the patriarchs and Moses. Now Israel needs to take possession of it. It's been given, but they need to to receive it. In other words, they need to go out and to take possession of the land. Perhaps um, there there's some debate on whether there was still occupation in that land that it would it would require work for them to go in there and 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 seize it, um, uh, or perhaps they were just satisfied with what where the situation they were in even before they received this inheritance uh we're not really told but the idea here is that that um joshua calls them to task on this to say here's the gift now um go take possession of it uh and that that's something they do uh the key to their ability to take possession of god's gift is this courageous faith in his promise that he he has given this now go take it uh and such god-given faith enables his people to act um and Harstad says the lack of action displays a weakness of their faith, perhaps, in, in all of this. Hmm. Well, you know, the, what, what you're talking about here with the Joshua calling them to task, I like that, calling them slackers, perhaps, that, that it reminds me of the way chapter 17 ended with the two tribes of Joseph, oh, yeah. how they were talking to, to Joshua and saying, look, we... We don't really have enough land here. We're very numerous. What what do we need to do? And Joshua basically does something very similar, though with with more words. Mm-hmm. And he tells them, "Look, here's the land the Lord has given. It's yours. Go ahead and and take it. This is this is yours. He's made the promise, and it's. I mean, yeah, there's there's difficulties, but but the Lord promised. So. Right. Have at it, and and it's, you know, I don't know if, if we're to understand this as you know directly chronologically right after that, but it it follows then that he would kind of look at these other seven tribes and say, hey, what I just got done telling to these tribes of Joseph about taking more land that the Lord has given you, now you go for it too, right. and it it's not a. You know, it, it, but it all comes back to the promise of God. Right. That that's where this is. That's where we have to to understand this. It's not Joshua just telling them sort of like man up and, <laughs> and do something, right? But it's rather you know God's promised it. So what are you waiting for? Right. I mean, this is kind of harkens back to when the spies spied out the land in the Pentateuch, right? And uh, you know, God had given this land to them, and they go in there and they see it, and they're scared because of this. And so you see, it doesn't. After, even after the conquest, that 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 idea of this kind of lack of faith or weakness of faith doesn't go away. What's kind of important to see here, though, too, is this land's a gift. God promises it. Um, and even though that promise kind of fades, perhaps, in Israel's thinking, not only here, but uh, elsewhere, uh, the promise of, of the Lord still stands. It doesn't fail. He doesn't take it away from the people, uh, uh, even if Joshua has to, to, to remind them of God's promises, 
the faithfulness of God still stands um, so that they can go and take hold of that gift. It, there's a bit of mercy in here, I think, if we really read that they were slacking and, and going to take the land or, or calling into question God's, God's uh, uh, promise uh, that this land would be their inheritance. Hmm. You you brought up the spies, and it sounds like Joshua does something similar, or maybe has something like that in mind. Not a spy per mm-hmm. se, but uh, scouts mm-hmm. of sorts. Uh, what's going on with the the three men from each tribe in verse four? Yeah, so basically, we we were Joshua gives this command, um, and how the rest of the seven tribes is Benjamin, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. How this land's going to be allotted to them? But we have this episode where they're going to three men per tribe. Uh, are going to go survey the land and then they'll apportion the land into the seven portions and cast lots. Um, they do that after they serve out, uh, spy out the, or um, survey the land. They, they, they return back uh, to the presence of the Lord there at Shiloh and to Joshua, which I think is really significant that, that the actual lot and allotment um, takes place in the presence of the Lord. But before that, they're going out in there, um, they're, they're taking the survey of uh of of what's going on so yeah i said this kind of like the uh, numbers 13 uh with moses sending out the 12 spies or even joshua when he sends the spies out to spy in jericho and joshua 2 similar i think numbers 13 is actually very very significant because i think what they're looking for is going to be kind of the same thing that is described in detail in in numbers 13 17 through 20. so what are they actually looking for because we're told that they write down a description uh, here, but we're not actually told what what is it that they're kind of looking for. Well, in Numbers 13, Moses sent those spies to the land of Canaan very specifically. He says, go up into the Negev and up into the hill country and see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether there are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Uh, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land, that kind of thing. So this idea is to, it's to give a very accurate description of, of what's going on and what this place looks like so then that, the, that they can bring that back to, to Joshua in their, in their survey. So the, the survey is perhaps not only like what we read, for mm-hmm. example, later in Joshua 18 and then into the following mm-hmm. chapters where we're drawing boundary lines and, and noting where cities right. are, but also just other general characteristics of the land, including who's living there mm-hmm. and, and maybe even thinking about what it's going to take to defeat them, right. but but all in knowledge of the fact that God has promised right. that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's not, a, it's not a survey to find out, can we do mm-hmm. this, but more a survey of, how will we do this according to the Lord's word? Right. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and then again, the fact that they return back with the reports and that these things take place again in the presence of the Lord, uh, that he is the one who's giving these gifts. Uh, and as the land is given as a gift, um, it's it's uh, allotted in, in the presence of God there at the tabernacle. Well, yeah, talk, talk more about that then. The fact that they, they don't just go out and divide it up and then you know set their, their stakes down and say, here's where I'm, I'm camping, mm-hmm. but they go back to the Lord's tabernacle to, to divide it up or to receive the, the land by lot. Right. What's the significance? Well, I mean, Joshua's there and Joshua's kind of throughout Joshua's served as kind of the spokesperson, but, but really because God's presence is there, um, this, is, this is the place where they will gather together so that you can see that this is, you kind of think, Maybe this is a bad analogy, but 
But when you have the in movies and stuff there, the, you have somebody has a video will and the whole family gathers around the, the reading of the will, but it's from that will, uh, uh, that, that they hear and know what they will be receiving. So again, th there's no question that this comes from the Lord, that they're not just going to go out and, and stake their claims, but that they're going to, to have these things as God has given them to, to them. So, and it's not going to be seven tribes. Hey, the rest of the land is up for grabs. No, Go yeah. get the best part for yourself right. or, or something like that. But this is even as, as the Lord sends uh, the Lord through Joshua mm -hmm. sends these scouts, these surveyors out, he's still going to be the one who owns the land and who gives the land as an inheritance. It's not just a, again, not thinking internally within Israel. It's not a land grab for these seven tribes, mm -hmm. but this is still the Lord doing the giving. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, God's doing the giving. Now he's doing it through Joshua. And I think that's, that's significant to see. Uh, Joshua's giving these instructions um, and, and saying, you know, go out to this land and see, see what it's, what it's like. Uh, and then return and then return back to Joshua. But, but Joshua is the only, the spokesperson for, 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 for the Lord in this sense It is really God who's giving this uh, inheritance to to his people. So, I mean, what what then is the significance of using Joshua as the spokesperson? I mean, this mm -hmm. is true all along, but particularly here in Joshua eighteen. Well, I mean, it's God appointed him for this particular um, uh, work uh, to be done uh, in this way, uh, and I think there is some significance to see that God God frequently through the Old Testament and in the New Testament is using people using um, specific offices to do His work. Uh, and the office never supersedes or goes above and beyond what God gives it to do. But I think, yeah, we can definitely, and Harstad does this, he, he makes a connection here with, the, with even Joshua and, and the office of the holy ministry. Uh, he says, this may be compared to the way a pastor, Christian pastor ministers sacramentally in the church sanctuary before and on behalf of Christ himself and distributes God's gifts of grace through the word and sacrament for the benefit of God's people. Uh, he ministers here before the Lord in, in the chancel. He leads and joins the congregation in calling upon God as our God and our Father. So again, Joshua's not God. He has no authority in, in this other than what God has appointed him to do it. But God works through people throughout the scriptures um, and through prophets and apostles and evangelists, uh, even as he continues to work it in his church today. It's God's presence, God's gifts that he's given, but he uses, again, concrete it's a real concrete thing on how God works, and He uses a real concrete men as pastors to be uh, to be giving out these gifts. I think that that's a helpful connection to make between Joshua and the his role for the people and the way the Lord makes use of of Joshua as His spokesperson. I, I wonder if we might also think about the way that the Lord makes use of all Christians through their various vocations. Simply in the fact that he does send out these what twenty one surveyors mm -hmm. so seven times three, mm -hmm. you know, he doesn't he doesn't have to do it that way. Right. You know he doesn't have to use like spies in the book of Numbers mm -hmm. or surveyors here. And al although they're not described, you know that we've got allotments already without hearing about the role of of surveyors. So I, I wonder if if just thinking about the surveyors themselves is a reminder of of just the way God uses all of His Christians in their various callings, their vocations, yeah, to be. You know, I mean, to, to serve the neighbor, that's God serving through through them. Yeah, exactly. Luther calls these the masks of God, right? That uh, Or uh, as uh, um, Gene Edward Veith put it, the, the God at work uh, vocation. How does God work? Well, he does work uh, immediately in many ways in providing for his people, but 
so often he he works immediately or um, uh, through means and through people uh, to serve to serve his purposes. And in Joshua, in particular, he uses these uh, specific people that are that are called to these positions to to survey the land to lay out the land. Um, and even nowadays, God continues to use um, uh, all Christians in various ways uh, to serve their neighbor, be it a father, mother, son, daughter, you know, husband, wife, or worker. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think in in the whole text, the the combination between the surveyors going out and describing the land, and even you know, it sounds like they're even dividing it up such that they know what the various chunks of land are going to look like. They just don't know which name to write into which section. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think, oh, yeah, cause they're waiting for the lot. Yeah. The, the lots to be drawn. Yep. Yep. I think, right. Yeah. So you, you see both the divine and the human element mm-hmm. there very clearly such that you do see how the Lord works through vocation there, which comforts us in our vocations today when sometimes maybe it doesn't seem in the in the thick of the moment you know when the when the mother is changing the dirty diaper or the father is is laboring during the day to provide for his family you know it may not be easy to see that yes this is god at work yeah. and so when you you see it maybe more a little uh, clearly here in Joshua 18 that provides the comfort for us today when we don't see it we have the assurance yes this is still god at work yep exactly amen very good. So, so it, it then it happens. Take us into the last part of this transitional section, verses eight to ten. Yeah, eight through ten. Basically, everything that was laid out at the beginning comes to pass. It really demonstrates that all this is done during Joshua's command. And this is something you find often in in uh, the Old Testament, where a command is given, and then we see it described in detail, very much paralleled on how it, it comes to pass. Uh, but again, note that that in verse ten, the emphasis again that this takes place. Um, uh, uh, before the Lord, Joshua cast for them lots at Shiloh before the Lord, and Joshua portions there the land, sons of Israel, according to their portions. Um, so before we get to the specifics of Benjamin, again, to notice that um, that all these, th- all these things are coming to pass before the Lord and according to his, his promises. Mm. So, so the the rest of chapter 18 then deals with the people of Benjamin. Uh, before we talk about the land that's given, just remind us concerning the tribe of Benjamin and the backstory of the sons of, of Jacob. Who are we talking about with Benjamin? Right, right. So so Benjamin uh, was born of Rachel. Uh, he's the youngest of Jacob's 12 sons. Um, and he was the only one that was born in the promised land of Canaan uh, uh, in, in, in Genesis. Um, and so... He's one of the 12, uh, and he is, um, uh, his tribe then is, is, is allotted this land, um, according to, according to the promise that God had given in the Pentateuch. Hmm. Well, you know, what strikes me is, is with Benjamin being the first now of these seven, Benjamin's the youngest. He's maybe not the one that I would have expected to come forward first. And yet the lot does fall on him. I, I wonder I don't know. I'm not sure if there's anything to that. The the order earlier, we talked about how Judah being the first to receive the allotment on the west side of the Jordan is, you know, points to the significance of Judah being the one to whom the scepter is given. The ruler comes from him. The promise goes through him. Next in line comes Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph, the the favorite of Jacob receiving the double portion, and and Ephraim in particular, you know, being kind of the, the chief of the tribes among the northern kingdom later. 
And, and then after this brief interlude, then comes Benjamin. I, I don't know if there's anything to the order at this point, or if, if this is simply, we just should recognize, hey, God's the one who's choosing it, and Benjamin came up first. I, I don't know. Any thoughts? Right. Um, I mean, we do have Benjamin kind of being um, held in pretty high regard by by his father uh, in, in Genesis. Um, I don't know if these are allotted in order of importance or anything like that. Again, I guess it might be just the fact that this is how God would see it um, as being yeah. in good order. Uh, I didn't really come across anything that would say anything particular about the order of the rest of the tribes being allotted, though. Sure. And and just looking at their names right now, I'm, I'm not sure that there is. It just, it, Benjamin being the youngest, it, it just strikes me. And, and maybe it is simply the fact that this is the way God arranged it. Benjamin came up first. That was his choice. And, yeah. and that is certainly is, God's prerogative. It is significant, though, to see um, the connection um, between uh, Judah and Benjamin as far as their land coming close together, as well as to, uh, to Joseph's son's uh, uh, to yeah. the north. And that's going to really kind of come up. I think I found that comes up pretty well when we talk about Jerusalem in relationship to, to Judah and Benjamin, because it's right there uh, connecting the two, if you will. Sure. So let, let's talk a little geography, at least as best as you can talk about geography on the radio. Right. Again, if, if you've got a map, this is a good time to pull it out. If you're following along in the Lutheran Study Bible, there's a great one mm-hmm. on page 365 right here in the book of Joshua. So let's let's do a little bit of geography. There are actually some place names that are, are familiar mm-hmm. here. And, and as you pointed out, a lot of shared place names from some of the other tribes that we've already heard. Right. So so give us some geography. For right. Future. So what, what we do in 11 through 28 is you you kind of have the allotment of uh setting the borders and then the second part of it is actually naming cities uh so when we're setting kind of the border here uh it's this corridor between um judah in the south and the uh, the two tribes descended from joseph from manasseh on on the north um and um what what you kind of see here when you look at the map is benjamin's allotment is quite small especially compared with judah <laughs> but uh yeah. but but uh uh it being mentioned here now and one of the first ones that it's it's such a small piece of land however um it's not necessarily about the size um but it's much more about its location that is really of significance mm-hmm. um uh its positions really was seen as very strategic militarily and commercially um and Josephus actually writes about this. I quoted this from Harstad that wrote that this lot was the narrowest of all. This is from Josephus Antiquities. The narrowest of all by reason of the goodness of the land, for it included Jericho and the city of Jerusalem. So though it's narrow, it's got um, significant uh, location and significant cities in it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Jericho and Jerusalem. Those are two of the biggest ones in the entire Old Testament that that we're talking about, and we've seen them already. Now, what what about Jerusalem? Because we've we've heard about Jerusalem briefly in in the allotment of Judah right. at the very end of Joshua fifteen. It said the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive right. out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. And here we hear again about Jerusalem in the allotment of Benjamin. So yeah. Uh, what's going on with Jerusalem? So, so we kind of have this, um, it's mentioned, of course, like, like we said in 15, um, would be the allotment. However, we get it specifically given as a city to Benjamin. Um, although the fields south of Jerusalem were, were, uh, assigned to Judah. Um, 
and and the reasoning for this um well i'm not sure exactly the reasoning for this but reason is probably mentioned in um jerusalem is mentioned in 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 the allotment of the land to judah is um kind of its connection the sons of judah uh may have attempted to unsuccessfully drive out the jebusites from the field south of jerusalem but signed to judah jerusalem maybe is named kind of in a broader sense there um it could be also that the sons of Judah may have helped the Benjamin, Benjamin, uh, the tribe of Benjamin to drive out the Jebusites from the city itself. There's lots of possibilities, but ultimately what it comes down to is that you have this close connection between Judah and Benjamin uh, with the city of Jerusalem, though the city of Jerusalem itself is given to, to Benjamin, to the tribe of Benjamin. And that city of Jerusalem, we obviously know takes on great significance uh, for um, the rest of the Old Testament as well as uh, into the New Testament as, as kind of the, the city. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, any, anytime we see Jerusalem, we need to, we need to be paying attention. <laughs> and, and so this, you know, shared role between Benjamin and Judah, and I, you know, maybe just thinking forward into the Old Testament, when you have the divided kingdom, mm-hmm. it is Judah and Benjamin. And I think along with, with Simeon, which is there in the middle of Judah, mm-hmm. there, they are the, the Southern yeah, kingdom. Exactly. And so we already start to see their, their close connections here. Right. You know, it, it's just striking how the, the old Testament, it, it's like the Lord knows where things are going <laughs> as he's writing the story. Right, right. Exactly. So he puts things just right where they can see it. And we don't really see the big picture until we get to the end of the book. <laughs> That's right. So as we've seen throughout the book of Joshua, we will continue to see, we need to keep reading in order to get the fullness of, of where this is going, which is, of course, pointing us toward Christ. Mm-hmm. So Pastor Wergal, we've got just under five minutes here on the morning to, to reflect on on everything that we've read here in, in Joshua 18 and and where this, this account of Joshua is, is going. You've, you've already helped us significantly in the, the way that you've you know, reminded us this, this is real history. These are real places. The Lord really keeps his promises. Uh, thinking about Joshua 18, how, how would you sum it up? How does this, this text help us to see Christ? Well, I think one of the biggest things we can kind of see is in terms of uh, this covenant promise, um, this inheritance that's being given, which is mentioned even here towards the end of, of 18, just as it was mentioned at the beginning, that these things are given as an inheritance. Um, uh, it's got this legal terminology to it, of course, but that the land itself, again, belongs to the Lord, and he is the one who gives it uh, to his people. Uh, this is the covenant, the testament, the giving of the gifts away to his, to his people. Uh, what we don't want to do, what we want to be careful about when we talk about the land in the Old Testament is to say that it somehow it finds its end in the land. <laughs> uh, as if the land is the thing that is of most importance as opposed to God's promise in providing for his people this land for the sake of the coming Messiah. So the land is significant uh, in the Old Testament and in the, to the New Testament. But it's going to take its significance only from the fact that through uh, that this land is given to the uh, tribes of Israel for the very purpose that one through one of the descendants uh, of Israel will be the promised Messiah by whom all nations will be blessed. And so I think there is a sense where the land is still even significant today, but in a, not in the sense that it is somehow greater than the, the, the gift that comes from the land, the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. Again, the land's significant because this is the place 
where the Messiah would come, where he would walk, where he would talk, where he would lead, where he would die, and where he would rise again from the dead. And through his ascension into heaven and his session at the right hand of the Father, though, now that gospel message goes out beyond these lands. Uh, you know, that's kind of the theme of Acts, where it spreads out from Jerusalem to Judea to all the ends of the earth. Um, uh, so it's, it spreads out from there, but it's the, still the same promises of God, same God of the Old Testament is the one who continues to give his inheritance, his gifts uh, to his people here and now, uh, the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation. And our faith, uh, um, uh, just as I should say, just as the people of Israel and the tribes of Israel received this land by faith in God's promises, we receive the gifts of God by faith in his promises. And perhaps we can be like, like those tribes and need to be told by a Joshua to stop being slackers uh, and to receive the gifts uh, and take possession of what God has promised. Uh, God continues to be faithful to his promises in giving these things. That's right. Mm, that's right. Fantastic, Pastor Wergal. Pastor Sam Wergal is pastor at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana, helping us today with Joshua chapter 18, verses 1 to 28. Pastor Wergal, thanks for being our guest. Oh, today. it's always a pleasure. God keeps his promises to real people in real places, just as he kept his promises to Israel in the land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua, particularly Benjamin and Joshua chapter 18. So he keeps his promises to you and to me still today where we are. He meets us in word and in sacrament to give us the gifts of Christ, life, forgiveness, and salvation now and for all eternity. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple. If you have any questions about the book of Joshua or comments on the series, or if you'd just like to let us know where you're listening, we would love to hear from you. Please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to get correspondence. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.